0: The views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler are not necessarily those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, or the Board of Regents. Oh no, my friends, the views for the next hour are all mine. TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday, May 14th, 2021. Now, this might sound a, a little different than some of TMI episodes you're used to. I'm hoping to keep that difference to a minimum. But the fact is, I am recovering from my second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. And I'm afraid the term is recovering. It hit me kind of like a, kind of like a ton of bricks, Um, been uh, flattened my back in bed for about the past two days. Uh, but I'm up now. I I seem to be operating. So uh, we're going to go ahead and pull this episode off. Uh, and uh, hey, that means I'm Team Moderna. Now, Team Pfizer, you know what this means. After the broadcast, that alleyway, Lake Street near the garage, that's right. We're going to have to have a confrontation. Team Moderna and Team Pfizer right there. It's unfortunate, but it was written in the stars, or at least in the scars. <laughs> anyway. Speaking of COVID, though, um, you know, it's increasingly seeming like the term COVID-19 might be a bit of a misnomer. I mean, yeah, okay, yes. Obviously, it it was first um found in the wild in late 2019. But um, the majority of its world impact was in 2020, and it's here it is 2021. It's not going away yet. Um, In fact, the world's most vaccinated nation is currently being spooked by a COVID spike, according to the New York Times here. Um, Seychelles uh, has seen a surge in coronavirus cases, despite the fact that almost all of its population has been inoculated with the uh, Sinopharm vaccine from China. Uh, Su Su Wei reports um, that... Marie Neige, a call center operator in Seychelles, was eager to be vaccinated. Like the majority of the residents in that tiny island nation, she was offered China's Sinopharm vaccine in March and was looking forward to the idea of being fully protected in a few weeks. And on Sunday, she tested positive for COVID-19. Ms. Neige, who was 30 and is now isolating at home, uh, said, I was shocked. She said the vaccine was supposed to protect us, not from the virus, but at least the symptoms, she said. I was taking precaution after precaution. Now she says she's lost her sense of smell and taste and has a slightly sore throat, which, of course, doesn't mean she's dying, but she's again, she should have been protected from that. Now, China expected its Sinopharm vaccines to be the linchpin of the country's vaccine diplomacy program, an easily transported dose that would protect not just Chinese citizens, but also much of the developing world. In a bid to win goodwill, China donated 13.3 million Sinopharm doses to other countries, um, according to Bridge Beijing, which is a consultancy that tracks China's impact on global health. Instead. The company, which has made two varieties of COVID 19 vaccines, is facing mounting questions about the inoculations. First, there is the lack of transparency with its late stage trial data, and now Seychelles, the world's most vaccinated nation, has had a surge in cases despite much of its population being inoculated with Sinopharm. Now, for the 56 countries counting on the Sinopharm shot to help them halt the pandemic, the news is a setback. Uh, For months, public health experts had focused on trying to close the access gap between rich and poorer nations. But now, scientists are warning that developing nations that choose to use the Chinese vaccines along with their relatively weaker efficacy rates could end up lagging behind countries that choose vaccines made by Pfizer, BioNTech, or Moderna. Uh, That gap could allow the pandemic to continue in countries that have fewer resources to fight it. Raina McIntyre, who heads the biosecurity program at the Kirby Institute of the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, said, you really need to use high-efficacy vaccines to get that economic benefit, because otherwise they're going to be living with the disease long-term. The choice of vaccine matters. Nowhere have the consequences been clearer than in Seychelles, which relied heavily on a Sinopharm vaccine to inoculate more than 60% of its population. The tiny island nation in the Indian Ocean, northeast of Madagascar, with a population of just over 100,000, is battling a surge of the virus and has had to reimpose a lockdown. Among the vaccinated population that has had two doses, 57% were given Sinopharm, 43% were given AstraZeneca. 37% of the new active cases are people who are fully vaccinated, according to the health ministry, which did not say how many people among them were those who had had the Sinopharm shot. Dr. Kim Mulholland, a pediatrician at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne, Australia, who has been involved in the oversight of many vaccine trials, including those for a COVID-19 vaccine, said, on the surface of it, this is an alarming finding. Dr. Mahalan said the initial reports from Seychelles correlate to a 50% efficacy rate for the vaccine instead of the 78.1% rate that Sinopharm had touted. He said, we would expect in a country where the great majority of the adult population has been vaccinated with an effective vaccine to see the disease just melt away. Scientists say breakthrough infections are normal because no vaccine is 100% effective, but the experience in Seychelles stands in stark contrast to, for example, Israel, which has the second highest vaccination coverage in the world and has managed to beat back the virus. A study has shown that the Pfizer vaccine that Israel used is 94% effective at preventing transmission. On Wednesday, the number of daily new confirmed COVID-19 cases per million people in Seychelles stood at 2613.38 compared to 5.55 in Israel. Now, numbers translate poorly in radio. let me just do this. The number of daily new confirmed COVID-19 cases in Seychelles was approximately 45 times higher. Than in Israel. So for every Israelite, every Israeli who came down with COVID-19, um, 45 or more people in saint did. And now and and keep in mind, saint has an almost 100% vaccination rate right now. So, yeah. Wevel Ramkalawan, the president of Seychelles, defended the country's vaccination program, saying, the Sinopharm and AstraZeneca vaccines have served our population very well. He pointed out that the Sinopharm vaccine was given to people age 18 to 60. And in this age group overall, 80% of the patients who needed to be hospitalized were not vaccinated. He told the Seychelles news agency, people may be infected, but they're not sick. Only a small number are. So what is happening is, is normal. Sylvester Redigonde, the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Tourism, said the surge in cases in Seychelles happened in part because people have let their guard down, according to the Seychelles news agency. Sinopharm did not respond to a request for comment. In response to an article from the Wall Street Journal on Seychelles, a spokesperson for China's foreign ministry blamed Western media for trying to discredit Chinese vaccines and harboring the mentality that everything involving China has to be smeared. In a news conference, Kate O'Brien, director of immunizations at World Health Organization, WHO, said the agency is evaluating the surge of infections in Seychelles and called the situation complicated. Last week, the Global Health Group approved the Sinopharm vaccine for emergency use, raising hopes of an end to a global supply crunch. She said that some of the cases that are being reported are occurring either soon after a single dose or soon after a second dose or between the first and second doses. According to Ms. O'Brien, the World Health Organization is looking into the strains that are currently circulating in the country when the cases occurred relative to when somebody received doses and the severity of each case. She said only by doing that kind of evaluation can we make an assessment of whether or not these are vaccine failures but some scientists say it is increasingly clear now that the Sinopharm vaccine does not offer a clear path toward herd immunity, particularly when considering the multiple variants appearing around the world. Governments using the Sinopharm vaccine, in quotes, have to assume a significant failure rate and have to plan accordingly. That was according to John Moore, at least, a vaccine expert at Cornell University. You have to alert the public that you will still have a decent chance of getting affected, uh, infected if you have the Sinopharm vaccine. Many in Seychelles say the government there has not been forthcoming. Diane Lucas, a 27-year-old waitress who tested positive for COVID-19 on May 10th, and she said she received her second dose of the Sinopharm vaccine on February 10th. She said, well, my question is, why do they push everyone to take it? In other words, yeah, she got it. And she'd been inoculated for three months. Emmanuel Haro, 22, a government lawyer, tested positive for COVID-19 on May 6th after getting a second dose for the Sinopharm vaccine in March. She said it doesn't make sense. The government had failed to give the public enough information about these vaccines, she says. They are not explaining to the people about the real situation. It's a big deal. A lot of people are getting infected. Now, Ms. Harrow's mother, Jacqueline Pilly, is a nurse in a private clinic in Victoria, the capital of Seychelles. She said she believes there's a new variant in Seychelles because of an influx of foreigners who've arrived in recent months. The tourism-dependent country opened its borders on March 25th to most travelers without any quarantine. Ms. Pillay, who's 58, says people are very scared now. When you give people the right information, then the people wouldn't speculate. Health officials have recently appeared on television to encourage those who have only taken the first dose of the Sinopharm vaccine to return for the second shot, but Ms. Pillay said she's frustrated that the Public Health Commissioner has not addressed why the vaccines don't appear to be working as well as they should. I think a lot of people aren't coming back, said Ms. Pillay. Now, this is an interesting case because, let's stop for a moment and remember that yeah there's going to be an interest in smearing things from china there always have been when it comes to uh new sources from the west where overall the media in the west is very interested in holding china back and i understand why we're talking about in the global economy of things china is the number one competitor to just about everybody else um as such, anything you can do to show that you don't want to trust China's products is usually a plus for their uh, competition. But you know what? Um, this This is looking to be a solid enough case where we really do need to be careful about the Sinopharm vaccine and perhaps its efficacy. I'm glad to see that there are people taking it seriously and looking into it. But what I think this is also showing is that vaccine or no vaccine. I mean, let, let's let's just say, okay, look, when you have a country that is almost 100% vaccination rate, all right, as the Seychelles has been boasting, um, and you are still looking at these kinds of surges of COVID-19, thanks to the fact that people let their guard down, they're still... They're, 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 they're allowing people to travel in from elsewhere with different strains. They're, um, apparently not worrying about the social distancing aspect, masking, all that kind of thing. They're just not practicing it. They're kind of like, Oh, that was last year's problem. We're done with that. Now we're all vaccinated. Yay. (sighs) Maybe we just need to be a bit more cautious. This thing isn't done yet. Okay, and we're not going to be rid of it unless we treat it with the utmost and sincerest seriousness. We have to watch what's going on. So yeah, get vaccinated. I did. Again, Team Moderna. Ha uh-huh. ha. Team Pfizer sucks. Now if you're fine too. Hey, look, if you got Pfizer and you got both shots, great. Perfect lovely i'm glad you're vaccinated fully against it just like i am with moderna again just remember back alley lake street after broadcast we'll, we'll settle this but no um the point is vaccination isn't the only answer to this yes we have to get enough vaccinations that finally covid doesn't have anywhere to go and it essentially dies off but until that happens on a fairly global scale and that's going to take a while we can't Just go back to how things were at the end of 2019. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. to get into some, shall we say, alphabet soup. That's right, because I'm going to talk about PTSD and MDMA and, well, the ABCs of it. But in all seriousness, something you might not know is that psychedelic medicine is about to blow up, or so says Fast Company, in an article they published this week uh, by Ruth Reader, says scientists and researchers have long tried to prove that psychedelic drugs could treat some of the most intractable problems in human health, like addiction, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's that PTSD. And now there's data to back up the claims, paving the way for the burgeoning psychedelics market. Monday, the journal Nature that's a scientific journal, guys, published the Phase 3 clinical trial results on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, let's just be clear, in case for some reason you're not up on the the lingo, that's ecstasy. Ecstasy Ecstasy-assisted psychotherapy as a treatment for PTSD operated by the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS. So yes, that's MDMA-assisted psychotherapy treating PTSD as operated by the MAPS. I told you we we're going to get alphabet soup on this. The data, no matter how you cut it or how ridiculous the acronyms might sound, is impressive. After 18 weeks of In just three sessions, 67% of participants receiving MDMA therapy saw so much symptom reduction that they no longer met the threshold for a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. So let me wind that back for you for a minute. Let's say you have post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe you've seen combat. Maybe your life has just been the kind of hell where you have had so much trauma or such a, such intense trauma in your life that you now have stress disorder because of it. That's post-traumatic stress disorder. You don't have to have seen combat for it. Okay, so now you've got PTSD. 67% of the time, it shows that after only 18 weeks and three sessions using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Your symptoms had been reduced so much that you essentially didn't have it anymore. Amy Emerson, the CEO of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, the CEO of MAPS, more alphabet soup. Amy says, you see an increase in sleep And bad sleep is a huge symptom of PTSD and nightmares. After MDMA-assisted therapy, nightmares decreased. In general, said Emerson, patients' relationships with friends and family improved, as did their overall quality of life and ability to work. Amy Emerson said there was also a decrease in substance abuse, which will be more finely examined, by the way, in a forthcoming study. So uh, to rewind this and unpack it, MDMA, not a gateway drug when used properly. In fact, the anti-gateway drug, the there's the door, get out of this addiction thing drug. By comparison, less than a third of the control group, which received a placebo pill alongside therapy, had similar outcomes. So, okay. All right. Let me again... Explain, in case you're not up on it, in order to really hard science study something, you want two groups. You want to have a group that is receiving the thing that has the active ingredient in it. And then you want another group that is receiving something that is known to have therapeutically no difference. You know, that makes no difference therapeutically, a sugar pill, basically. Um, And if you were in the group with a sugar pill, well, the therapy helped you maybe 30, 33% of the time. On the other hand, on the group that had the MDMA, the the, the studied uh, active ingredient, 67%. Just about twice, more than twice even, that of the control group. That's huge. The data shows that while... Therapy itself can help with PTSD symptoms, clearly. Adding MDMA to the equation aids more people in overcoming the disorder faster. Now, this expediency is important. Why? Well, okay, there's a high portion of people in trauma-focused therapy who don't complete that therapy. Okay. I'll go over the numbers, but then I'll I'll help you understand why. Uh, Because a recent study found that an average of 16% of participants in randomized controlled trials for PTSD treatments dropped out. Among combat veterans, the dropout rate can be even higher, all the way up to 78%, according to another study. Now, if you have PTSD, you want to get rid of it, right? Why, oh why, would you not continue through the therapy until you were done? Well... Working through trauma itself can be traumatizing. Keep in mind that if you're working through trauma, you're probably having to relive it probably multiple times throughout the thing so that you can desensitize your reaction to it. So you can try to get over it, right? However, if on the other hand, you could have the therapy and in 18 weeks, that's less than half a year. If you could have the therapy end in a matter of just a couple months, just a few treatments with this stuff, and you'd be essentially on your way to being called cured, you wouldn't have to worry about saying, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I can't go relive my trauma. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't be, you'd be done. That's amazing. With the phase three clinical trial concluded, MAPS is looking ahead to what commercialization of its product, protocol will look like because we live in a capitalist society. Already, there are several companies investing in psychedelic medicine ready to bring this new therapy to market, including companies called MindMed, Compass, Field FieldTrip, <laughs> MindCure, and Novamind, among others. The market is expected to boom with analyst estimates ranging from 6.8 to 10 and three quarters of a billion by 2027. Novamind CEO Yaren Conforti wrote in a press release published earlier this month We are doubling the size of our clinic network six months ahead of schedule, with the added capacity enabling us to scale to 65,000 client visits in 2021. Oh, yeah, they see the money, they smell the money. Now, NovaMind, which offers several novel treatments for persistent mental health issues, like ketamine-assistant therapy and uh, non-invasive brain stimulation, is adding four new facilities. Um Conforti continued, expect continued and aggressive growth as we expand Novamind's clinic network and clinical research infrastructure ahead of the FDA's anticipated approvals of MDMA and psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. The phase three trials results are also significant because they create a pathway for the Food and Drug Administration to approve MDMA for therapeutic use. When it does, it will likely come with risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, also known as REMS. <sighs> Alphabet soup. Um, it'll come with mandated parameters and, you know, to ensure safety. Um, and REMS's uh, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies include criteria that clinicians and their clinics need to meet in order to administer a therapy. Even with FDA backing, the market will take time to develop commercially because therapists will need to be trained to administer MDMA-assisted therapy according to the uh, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies. Emerson says, We've just redeveloped and made our training program able to handle larger numbers of therapists at a time, and we're just going to keep adding to our therapy training team. Emerson expects MDMA-assisted therapy to roll out to the public sometime in 2023, so a year, year and a half from now. In the immediate future, Emerson thinks MDMA-assisted therapy will be a specialization with specific clinics only providing psychedelic-assisted therapy. But looking ahead, she says she hopes that clinics will think about how to integrate this therapy into people's lives. She says the ideal would be a clinic that is More full service, she envisions a therapeutic setting that not only treats mental illness, but provides follow-up care that addresses social hurdles, like ensuring stable housing and financial management. She said, to me, that would be amazing. That'd be great. You know what else would be great, though? As we as a society realize the important medicine that has been contained in these long verboten substances you know, hemp, MDMA, psilocybin, all this stuff that we quickly and immediately revisit those who are in jail for having used it. We really do need to stop. And I mean, stop punishing people for trying to find effective medicine when silly and frankly, stupid societal taboos have been keeping it from them all along. Even And you could argue that MDMA, um, psilocybin, all this, can be used in a way that would be therapeutically bad for someone, of course. You can OD on a lot of different things. But you know what? Here's the deal. That's harming nobody but yourself. Is that something that you really should be put in prison for? Is that anybody's business but yours? And is it really your fault when society itself was being absolutely blind to the medical possibilities that ancient people have known a number of these substances were good for all along? You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. you're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler yes on WSUM 91.7 FM in Madison hallelujah my savior man known person Jesus Christ it's your cure for the common media airing every Friday at 5 p.m. central podcasting every Monday evening and Mikey, I think he likes it. He loves more. Oh, yes. Check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com for podcasts and all things TMI. I
1: know Kung Fu.
0: Show me. And we're back, TMI, with Aldous Tyler. You know, I, um if you're a regular listener to my program, firstly, thank you. Um, You'll notice I don't speak too much towards the uh, conflict, perpetual as it uh, seems to be, between the Palestinians and Israel. Um, And there's a reason for that. Um, I am not someone who will say it's equally bad on both sides. Um, I'm not someone who is going to tell you that everything either one of the sides is doing is right or that everything, anything either one is doing is wrong, but they're not equivalent, not even close. Um, Israel has historically completely outgunned outmaneuvered and um, just completely militarily outclassed the palestinians no matter how they organize the palestinians simply are just squashed anytime they respond to how they're treated and how they're treated by israel is just not good but it's a perennial thing it keeps happening it's it's like an evergreen it never it never seems to completely die out and in the 7 years since the last war in gaza Israel and Hamas, uh, the, the organization of Palestinians that uh, are militarized and fight back, they've repeatedly come close to reigniting uh, the conflict that happened seven years ago in the Gaza area. The peace on the Gaza border has largely held until, well, just about now. Since the end of Israel's last major offensive in the summer of 2014, there's been unrest in Jeru- Jerusalem, I should say, and elsewhere. Um, You know, Hamas attacking across Israel and protests on the Gaza border um, turning deadly when uh, Israel decides to make them so. Now, many of the tensions that have bubbled up in recent weeks between Israelis and Palestinians are not new. Like I said, evergreen, just evergreen. But um, whenever Israel and Hamas uh, seem to be on the verge of starting another full-out war, both have backed down. Well, that's not happening this time. Following weeks of mass protests and unrest in Jerusalem, Hamas has kept Israel under a steady barrage of rocket fire since May 10th, bombarding Tel Aviv, the southern city of uh, Ashkelon, and the towns on the Gaza border. Now, that's what you'll hear And that's what you'll see if you look at the mainstream press. But again, note that it's starting by saying, well, after weeks of protests, now Hamas is, is, you know, has barrages of rocket fire. They just kind of casually mention that these protests have turned deadly. And they often try to not mention why. But basically what happened was there were a lot of protests going on. Um, by Palestinians at the border with Israel, and Israel blew them apart. Israel killed them. So, retaliation. Hamas says, that's it. We've had it. We're going to start firing rockets into Tel Aviv and Ashkelon and other towns. So, Israel then says, oh yeah? Then we're going to respond. They. Uh, inflict withering airstrikes on Gaza you know on the Palestinians dozens of Palestinians uh, have been killed by them now no, let's note several Israelis have also been killed but it's this is always the proportion you know yes several Israelis will die but many many more Palestinians because the Israelis outgun them the Israelis outclass them militarily. You know, it's just, that's what happens. So unfortunately, though, rather than coming to an end that way, which would be an unfortunate end end, no matter what, the violence is spreading. Now, this clash is definitely mushrooming into what looks like a war, but why? Well... Obviously, you can take a look at the fact that it keeps going back and forth, but there's some unique things to this moment and stem from an unusual convergence of leadership gaps in Israel amongst Palestinians and in the United States. So here's here's a, a, a quick brief over what you need to know about who's in charge or not as the rockets and the airstrikes fly. First of all, Israel is in the midst of an extensive Extended leadership crisis. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu likes to tout his right-wing credentials when it comes to the Palestinians, but Israelis also view him as cautious when it comes to actually fighting wars. In the 12 years of Netanyahu's second tenure in office, Israel's fought just two wars in Gaza, that's 2012 and 2014. Using diplomacy and limited military engagement, uh, he doused the fires, even receiving praise for his quote-unquote level-headed leadership in 2014 from a coalition of left-leaning retired generals. Again, these are Israeli generals and and American generals, but still. This time, he was late to respond to this outbreak, and that's because he and his political rivals are still negotiating over forming a government following elections in March, Israel's fourth election in two years, by the way. For months— And much of those past two years, Netanyahu has been a caretaker prime minister in charge of a transitional government. On Monday, in fact, he appeared to be just days away from losing power to a coalition of his opponents. So he's not going to be in a strong position of any kind to try to negotiate any kind of uh, peace talks and to try to get the Israeli side to stop being so reactionary to What the Palestinians are doing, and vice versa. You know, and of course, beyond the political war, the the political woes there, Netanyahu is also mired in a trial on corruption charges that have dogged him now for years. But exactly what Netanyahu says and does may not matter if other Israeli politicians, including some of his supposed allies, behave differently. And they are. Israel has seen politicians with little actual power spark conflict before. Back in 2000, Ariel Sharon was the leader of the parliamentary opposition when he strolled across the Temple Mount with an entourage stoking tensions that would lead to the Second uh, int- uh, Intifada. It's, it's a powder keg over there, guys. Sh- Sharon had no role in government at the time and then prime minister Ehud Barak, who had been trying to forge a peace treaty, made it clear he did not support the action, yeah, of strolling with an entourage across temple mount. Um that didn't matter to the Palestinian, you know, end of things. Uh, a senior Israeli elected official broke a taboo and did so not inadvertently, but as an intentional political statement. So, you know, again, that's basically, you know, as if uh, one of our uh, politicians would, let, let, let's let just say, imagine someone, uh, a, a big prominent, uh, hell, let's just do it this way. What if Elizabeth Warren decided to come right down into the heart of North Carolina and said, hey, North Carolina, with your voting you know, restrictions you just put in here, screw you and give them all the bird. And just walk around town that way. Now, even then, here in America, that might upset a people, some people, but it's not the powder cake like it is over there. Over there, not only are them fighting words, those are words that mean war, more or less. Anyway, that scenario is playing out again now. Itamar Ben-Gvir, a newly elected Knesset member from the far-right party, has no current role in shaping Israeli government policy. That will be all the more true if Yair Lapid, the centrist leader tasked with setting up a government, succeeds in ousting Netanyahu. But it doesn't matter. Ben-Gvir still carries the imprimatur of an elected official. When he appears with far-right protesters in the contested eastern Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, it conveys the impression to Palestinians that anti-Palestinian violence has government approval. Also helping that impression is Arya King, a deputy mayor of Jerusalem who was caught on video yelling at a Palestinian activist that he should be shot in the head. Now, add to that again the fact that In these protests, Palestinians have been killed by official Israeli forces as well. It doesn't look good. It's not a good look. It's exactly what you could expect would rile up the Palestinians at that point. Now, the Palestinian Authority is is gingerly returning to its feet politically. It had three years of complete isolation power-wise from the Trump administration. Uh, The Palestinian Authority proposed and then canceled elections, which would have been its first since the mid-2000s, in part because of the very real possibility that Hamas could win. Now, Hamas completely rejects the idea of any accommodation with with Israel. They're, They're done. They are done. And if they completely take control of the Palestinian Authority, that's pretty much it. It's war at that point. The current Palestinian Authority president, 85 year old Mohammed Abbas, has been deeply unpopular for years. The Palestinians' uncertain leadership does not bode well for being able to rein in an uprising. The Palestinian uprisings or uh, intifadas launched in 1988 and 2000 stemmed in great right part from frustrations with a Palestinian leadership that appeared adept at posturing, but not at accomplishing anything. Following years of marginalization by Donald Trump, a pandemic-battered economy, and a perception that the Arab world is eager for ties with Israel and couldn't care less about the Palestinians, young Palestinians are taking things into their own hands. Now, again, before you come at me, and I'll give you my email address, it's tmi at com. I'm at TMI with Aldous on Instagram and Twitter. You can talk to me about this. That's fine. Don't come at me as being a supporter of Israel. Don't come at me as being a supporter of Hamas. I want there to be less killing overall. I also know very sharply who's killed more of whom. Don't you worry. I understand the balance and I understand that it's well out of whack, but I want to make sure, uh, and that's one of the reasons why, by the way, I don't usually talk about this is because uh, people hear me and they presume much about my stance on these things. And I, I don't like that. It's, it's not productive. The point is this, this isn't being talked about a lot on uh, national media, at least not right at the moment. Maybe it will be now that I'm talking about it. Maybe next week it'll happen. But I went and scoured to find good sources on this. And it was difficult because not a lot of people are talking. Because really right now, we're all kind of got our heads in the sand here in America. We're not really looking out towards what's going out in the world. And here at TMI, one of my big goals is to make sure that if things are going unreported or underreported, or if they're being distorted, that I bring it to you so you can have the information at hand. And now you do. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler, and we'll be right back. just so This episode of TMI with Aldous Tyler. Now, TMI with Aldous Tyler started broadcasting with WSUM here at 91.7 FM in Madison 11 years ago, pretty much to the day. And um, it's been a wonderful ride and it's going to keep going. I'm very happy to say that I've had nothing but compliments uh, from the uh, wonderful staff and uh, my fellow uh, DJs and and uh, hosts here at WSUM. And I want to invite you to listen to what they have to say because this is a diverse station. And a lot of people aren't big talkers like I am, but they express themselves through their music. Uh, Mr. G is a great example. Uh, th- there's plenty of others. Listen to the tunes here, and I think you will get... A much richer point of view than you could possibly get any other way. I fully encourage you to do that. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. And if you want to see the world for how it is, let me give you a, a quick pointer that I use. Close your eyes. Find a center within yourself. Remember what matters to you and then breathe in and let all that stuff slough away. There's too much information that gets thrown at you every day. And that's not on, you know, accident. They want you to be confused. So if you breathe deep and let it go, you'll be ready to see the world for what it is. At that point, all you'll have to do is simply go ahead and
1: open.